Well, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing good. Really good to see you. Um, <clears throat> I can't believe it's the week before Thanksgiving. This year has flown. Y'all got your eating britches out? <laughs> I do. Good and stretchy. We did our Thanksgiving shopping the other day, and we got everything out on the counter, you know, ready. And every, every time I walk in the kitchen, I'm like, that's going to be good. I'm going to eat a lot of that. Going to enjoy that. So I uh, hope you're able to spend some time with friends and family, and uh, we wish all of you a great Thanksgiving as we uh, head into next week. So we're going to uh, wrap up this series that we've called Trust Issues. We're going to start a new series next Sunday as we uh, lead into the Christmas season. So uh, over the course of this series, we have looked at the different ways that uh, you and I struggle to really trust in the fullness of who God is as our creator and our savior. And we've looked at this from a lot of different angles. Last week, we talked about trusting that God holds your future. We looked at what Jesus said about the end times and, and you know, raising the question, like, are we in those times because of all the instability, everything that's going on uh, in the world around us? And one of the things that we were reminded of is that for the believer, this world is as bad as it's going to get. But for the, for the non-believer, for the unbeliever, this world is as good as it's going to get. And to really trust that God holds our future means that we're going to be okay. Regardless of what happens on this side of eternity, we're going to be okay because when we trust in Christ, he holds our future. And as we've, as we've talked about this every week leading into this series, that trust is the reliance on the integrity, surety, and ability of a person or a thing, and, and in our case, it's a person and it's our living God, in that trust is that we rely on that, we depend on that, we put trust in him because he is able to be trusted, he's proven his ability to be trusted. And then we've talked about uh, the way we see uh, what happens to us in the world, the way we think about it, it's our worldview, how that shapes our response to what happens uh, in life, but then there's the heart, like how we feel about the world, how we feel about our lives, how we feel about what's going on around us. But then for the Christian, there should also be a spiritual response. You know, God, where are you in this? What are you doing in this? What can I glean from this? What can I learn from this? And, and the Christian, it, it's really got to be the spiritual first uh, and then how the spiritual influences the way we think and the way we feel about what happens around us. And also it's the reminder that trust is forged in the spiritual. It is a spiritual exercise. And we only develop trust when we spend time with our Heavenly Father and we see how he, how he comes through, how he provides, how he is dependable time and time again. But what we oftentimes do is we try to think our way into trust or feel our way into trust. And both of those break down under a certain amount of pressure. So if we're really going to trust God in, in multiple or various or all areas of our life, it's forged out of our relationship with him first and foremost. And as, uh, as we close up this series, this is what I want us to spend some time on today. Can we trust in God's goodness? Can we trust in God's 
goodness. I mean, one of the things that we talk about a lot and we read it in the Bible and we sing about it is that, that God is good, but, but yet there's times that uh, we look at things around us and it's like, well, that's not good and that's not good and that's not going very well. And so we really struggle sometimes with this idea of God is good. But I want to remind you of something we talked about in October when we did a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, God's goodness uh, in terms of his nature and his character. Good, going back to the Old Testament in the Hebrew, the word good is about function. That God declared something good when it functioned the way it was intended to function. So when God separated light from dark, when he created light and he saw it and it was good, then light was doing what it was intended to do. It was separating uh, darkness and it gave us, you know, it gave the ability to see and it separates. And, you know, we talk about, you know, light being good, dark being evil. You know, so when God declared it good, it's because it was functioning as it was intended. So for something to be declared good, it must function like it was intended. Um, this goes back two and a half years. We, we got a, a new refrigerator and uh, I, I, I use a lot of ice. Like I've got to have a good ice maker. I just do. I know. I, I know that's a real big issue, right? You know, but we have struggled and struggled and struggled with the reliability of the ice maker in this refrigerator to the point the company replaced our entire refrigerator. And now that one's having problems. So I can't say that we have a good refrigerator because it's not functioning as it was intended. So think about the different things like that, 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 that you use over the course of a day, a week, a month. You know, it, you're not going to say it's good if it's not functioning as it was intended. So in order for us to trust in God's goodness, we've got to understand and know how that goodness is a function of who God is by his nature and his character. And this is where we're always going to struggle with the idea uh, of God's goodness. When things in your life aren't good, we struggle to believe God is good. Now, sometimes that's just the spiritual tension that we're going to have, you know, between what scripture says about who God is and what I'm seeing going on in my life. Sometimes that's a lie of the devil to kind of whisper in our ear that, you know, well, maybe God's not good, like because things aren't really going well in your life and you've had some things happen that aren't good. Maybe God isn't good. But then sometimes we struggle in our flesh because we're like, okay, God, if you're good, then you're going to do good things. Like I'm, I'm going to get the things that I want and you're going to answer my prayers and life's going to be easy and life's going to go smooth and everything's going to work out the way I want it to, the way I need it to. And, and when, when life doesn't follow that script, we start to really wrestle with, because I don't see good happening here, then God can't be good. And so we struggle greatly with that tension. The psalm writer in Psalm 145 says this, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. Say that with me. Good 
to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. So the psalm writer is very, very specific, very direct, very bold in this statement of, of, of belief and statement of who God is, that he is good to everyone. But how do we define that goodness? How do we, how do we capture that goodness? Because look, we live in a broken and fallen world that is no longer good because it's not functioning as intended. And so things that are going to happen in this world are not always going to be good. You're going to struggle at times with finding good in your life circumstances and situations. So how do we capture, how do we, how do we really grasp the fact that God is good to everyone, those that are willing to follow him, those that are willing to seek him, those that are willing to lean into him uh, during uncertainty and struggle and trial. Um, and, I, and, and what I see, uh, and, and there's definitely more, but these are the three that, 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 that really came to mind for me this week, is three ways God shows, exhibits goodness in those that will seek him and follow him. And the first one is this. God's goodness sustains. God's goodness sustains. So if, if God is good to everyone, those that, those that seek him, those that follow him, those that lean into him, then, then, then God's goodness will be a sustaining presence in our life. Uh, to sustain means to be held up to be supported, to bear up from below. Every house has to have a good foundation. That is the sustaining, uh, that is the sustaining element of any house. It's got to have a good foundation. The rest of the house is bared up from below by the strength of that foundation. If you don't have a good foundation, you're going to have walls that are going to sag. You're going to have doors that aren't going to close. You're going to get drafts. You're going to have, you know, you're just going to have all kinds of trouble if you don't have a good foundation under you. Um, my third year of college, the first day I moved into my apartment, I walked into what was going to be my bedroom and started walking downhill. And from the door to the other wall, there was that much of a sink on that end uh, of, of that bedroom. And it was on a concrete floor. So to, 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 to be sustained from below means there's got to be something sure. There's got to be something solid underneath. And so when God is a sustaining presence because of his goodness, we are held up from below. We are held up from below. Listen to what the psalm writer says in 119, 116 through 117. Lord, sustain me as you promised, that I may live. Now look at this. Look at the exclamation mark. That I may live, not just exist, not just get by, not just take up space, but sustain me that I may live exclamation mark. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on all 
your decree. So the psalm writer is making this connection between seeing the sustaining presence of God through struggle and trial and hardship and recognizing the dependability, the trustworthiness of God that I will continue to meditate on all that you say. And some translations can say ways, some can say commands, decrees, God, that I will, I will meditate on all that you ask of me, all that you tell me to do. So he uses the word sustain twice in those two verses. I don't need a show of hands when I ask this question, but how many of you right now are in the middle of a set of circumstances that are testing you in, 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 in a lot of different ways? Like it's just weighing on you mentally. Like you just can't get away from it. You can't stop thinking about it. It's pulling at your heart. Like you're just investing emotion and you feel like your, your emotions are getting worn down and depleted physically. Like you're not sleeping. You're, not, you're, 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 you're just not holding up under the weight of this. Uh, one of the things that the psalm writer is saying is, God, you sustain me in this. And this is David. I mean, look, King David had lived his life on the run for a certain number of months from King Saul. David didn't know from one day to the next what, what he was going to be up against, who might be coming after him. And so when he says there's a sustaining, Lord, sustain me, he gets it. He understands what it means for there to be a God who holds us up, who bears us up when our strength, our emotions, our spirits, our souls are becoming weak and depleted. And maybe that's the idea that, that, that we need to get to that place so that we can recognize God's goodness as a sustaining goodness because God knows we don't live in a good world. God knows the world is broken. God knows broken, the, the broken things are going to happen in a broken world and that until we see him in heaven, we need a sustaining presence to get through till he calls us home. That is the goodness of God, to be a sustaining presence in the middle of a world that is broken and can't be called good. So God's goodness sustains, but God's goodness also redeems. God's goodness also redeems. Listen to what the psalm writer says. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of the grave. Now, one thing we have to understand when we're uh, looking at Scripture, we're looking at the Old Testament, we're looking at the Hebrew way of thinking, like uh, when the psalm writer says, redeem my life, uh, he will snatch me from the power of the grave. He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about a spiritual death. Like, Lord, redeem me that I don't spend a, a, an, an eternity separated from you. God, I need you to redeem me from that eternal spiritual grave. Too oftentimes we think that those that verses like this talk about the physical grave. That's, that's not what this is talking about because we don't escape that. There's no way we can escape that, you know. And so, we, so to, to understand God redeeming us from a spiritual, eternal grave separated from the presence of God. So one of the things that, uh, that we understand about the word redemption is that because of the cross and the resurrection, our redemption begins the moment of our salvation. 
Like when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we experience redemption. Our sin, we've been redeemed from the penalty of sin. We've been redeemed from the judgment of sin. We've been redeemed from a dead spirit to now a, a spirit that is alive because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But redemption doesn't stop at salvation. The redemptive work of God continues to be at work all throughout the remainder of our, our earthly lives until we stand before him. So what begins to happen is because of the power of resurrection, it also brings redemption into the broken places of our lives. That's part of the power of, of the resurrection and the work of redemption. You see... When you give your life to Jesus and, 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 and he awakens your soul, our flesh patterns, our sin patterns aren't wiped away at that moment. Some of them may be. Some of them we may never go back to again. We may never revisit again. But there are certain patterns about our flesh that we carry over into our relationship with God. And some of those patterns are broken patterns. I mean, if you're the type of person that just you go from friendship to friendship to friendship to friendship, you know, maybe there's a broken pattern about how you uh, engage in that friendship. Like, like maybe you're not a you're a taker and you're not a giver. Like, like, like maybe you're not you're not really one who who is there to give. You just want people to give to you. You exhaust people, and so you you go through friends. There's a broken pattern that needs redeeming. Maybe you've had somebody violate trust in a relationship and, and it wounded you deeply and, and you go into future relationships with a lack of trust because of broken trust in the past. God has put somebody trustworthy in your, in your path, in your presence, but you're not trusting because of, uh, because of past violations of trust. And so you exhibit a, a, a untrusting spirit to somebody that is trustworthy. And so God, God wants to redeem what has happened in the past so that you can trust and rest in the trust of people that are around you now. You know, there are broken patterns in our life that need redeeming. Maybe there are certain attitudes that are, are not in line with God's attitude. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a racial pattern. Maybe it's a, it's a self-righteous pattern, a judgmental pattern that is always building up walls between you and other people. God wants to redeem those attitudes and those mindsets. But also, God redeems things that happen in our lives as a result of a broken world. So when broken things happen in a broken world, the redemption of God is at work in the lives of those that believe him, trust him, and follow him. There's going to be things that happen that are incredibly gut-wrenching, that are painful, that are going to be hard to overcome, and yet God's redemptive work uh, is, is available, and so God wants to redeem those broken things. Why? So that we don't live in the bondage of the flesh, we don't live in the bondage of the past, we don't live in bondage to our circumstances, we live in the freedom of God's redemptive work and we see what God desires to do 
uh, as a result of that redemptive work. That's why we quote Romans 8, 28. So many times when bad things happen, God, uh, we know that God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's God's redemptive work. Doesn't mean all things are good, but that God will bring good out of a bad, uh, not good, harmful, painful circumstances. Listen to what the psalm writer says in 137. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows, meaning that there is always room for his redemptive work. That redemption, that redemptive work never stops, never takes a time out, never takes a pause. What is it that's been broken? What broken things have happened in your life that you need the, redemption, the redemptive work of Jesus to do what only he can do. Why does he do that? Because he's good. Because God doesn't want you to live in just the pain of the broken things of this world. He wants to see, um, he wants you to see how his redemptive work brings healing, brings hope, brings pr perspective, uh, brings inspiration, brings motivation. Why do you think there are people that start nonprofits and start causes uh, in the name of something or someone? It's because they want to bring good out of bad things that have happened. Because God is good, he redeems broken things. But then, God's goodness forgives. God's goodness forgives. Listen to what Paul says in Romans, although he's quoting Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, Yes, what joy those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's the great um, beginning point of our salvation is that when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, like uh, everything that we have ever done that violates God's standard has been wiped out. Like it is gone. I mean, if, if we were to open a book that had all of our sins that we've ever committed, I mean, it would, it would cover up the left and the right, and there wouldn't be any white. It would just be black because everything was written on it, and it's layers upon layers. And the moment Jesus comes into our life, it is wiped out. It is completely clean. And that's, and that's what Paul is saying, quoting, like the record has been cleared. What a great promise. What a great work that God has done to, to, to do that work in our lives. But yet, how many of us still struggle under the weight of sin and failure and regret and guilt? And it can be incredibly overwhelming. And I've seen this many times over the years, like somebody that's still a new believer, they're still relatively young in their faith. They start to think about everything that they did before Christ came into their life. And they think about the, the harm that they've caused and the wrong that they've done and, and, and just the, the broken nature of, by, by which they 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 brought into their lives and brought into other people's lives and they start to feel the weight of that. And, and how many of us do the exact same thing? Like we think back to those things that we did and we're like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. 
man, I just can't stop thinking about the fact that I've done this and, and what I've done to other people and what I've done to myself. And it just creates this incredible weight. And it leads to this question like, we may have trusted in Christ for salvation, but are we living in the freedom of forgiveness? Now, let me draw one hard line here because I just, I, I, I really felt impressed to, 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 to make sure we're on the same page here. When I say living in the freedom of forgiveness, that doesn't mean we've been forgiven, do whatever you want to do. Okay? You know, that, that is not a license. We're, we're not given a license to just do whatever we want to do. What I'm talking about is living in the freedom that God's forgiveness brings us. It takes that weight off of our shoulders. It takes that guilt off of our minds. It takes that regret off. You know, we, I mean, we may regret in a way that we can learn to not do certain things again, but we can't live in a constant state of regret. Because, because that freedom is there because, look, God's goodness means he wants us to live in the freedom of living out that forgiveness that he has given us. The past is wiped out. The sins are, are remembered no more. The record has been cleared. And it doesn't matter what somebody wants to bring up from your past. That doesn't define who you are in Christ. Several months ago, I went to a funeral of somebody that I had a, I had a, 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 a great respect for and, and ad, uh, you know, just really thought a lot of this lady. And, and there were several people at this funeral that I have not seen in several years. I mean, probably o over a decade. And I came into the church where that funeral was, and I saw a guy that I had not seen in years. And the first thing he did was bring up one of my biggest mistakes in he and I's relationship. It's the first thing he brought up. Man, that hurt. That gutted me. Because I'm like, that, that, that's what you choose to remember? That's what you want to bring up after not seeing each other in so many years? That's, that's where you want to live? And I'm telling you, it took me several days to get over that punch in the gut. But you know, I had to look back and go, you know what? I, I'm not defined by that. I don't live by that. Sure, there are a lot of things that we all wish that we could go back and do over again. But the sufficiency of the, uh, of the cross, the sufficiency of all that God has done on our behalf frees us from living with the guilt and the shame and regret. And we have to stand on the full work of Jesus whenever we're tempted to live in guilt and shame and regret how good our God is that he doesn't want us to live in those states of mind that he wants us to be able to stand on the fullness of his forgiveness the fullness of the finished work of the cross too often we carry a self-inflicted weight of what's already been forgiven and forgotten Psalm 130 says that we that, that our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Do you know if you go west, you never start going east? It's always west. 
The east and west never meet. Now north will eventually meet south. But not so with the east and the west. Think about that. There are things we drag up. There are things we dig up. There are things we unearth that God doesn't even remember. And because of God's goodness, he wants you to live in the freedom of what you have been forgiven of, set free of, and set free from. Too many times the devil wants to whisper in our ear that we are the total sum of our mistakes and failures. But we need to listen to the word of God. We need to take what God says seriously and stand on what God has done out of the goodness that he, ha that he is and the goodness that he provides and gives to each and every one of us. Where are you today that you need a sustaining God? What's happened in your life that you need a redeeming God? And what have you uh, brought before God and confessed that you don't need to pick up and carry anymore to rest in the sufficiency of the cross. What are those three? Those are ways that God exhibits his great goodness because he knows better than we do. This world isn't good, but he offers us his goodness to sustain, redeem, and forgive. Let's pray together. As we spend some time reflecting and praying, where has God spoken to you this morning? Where is his voice speaking so clearly into where your life is right now? Where is it that you need his sustaining presence? What broken thing have you not allowed him to redeem? What sins are you carrying? What are they? What is it that needs to be allowed for the goodness of God to be a calming, soothing, healing, and freeing presence in your life? Father, I pray in this place this morning that you would be doing that work that stems out of your great goodness. Lord, that there would be those that are weak that would find strength. Those that are tired would be renewed. Those that are broken would find redemption. I want to give you just a moment to spend some time before the Father. Confess, cry out, call out, lay down, Whatever that is that you need to do, take a few moments and spend that with him. Father, thank you for your goodness and that you're always available to give us what we need. Lord, when we trust you, 
when we lean in to you. When we trust you.